1: Let your wise
2: rise up see the signs of the times If this time. Rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people. When those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff horn and pedo forms begin to get top billing. Rise Peace, and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery, hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthis with New Abolitionist and Actionist Johannan Elia, and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is September 23, 2015, The Apocalypse. On the anniversary of the passing of the Fugitive Slave Laws, Senator Bernie Sanders released joint legislation to ban private for-profit prisons from the United States. The Justice Is Not For Sale Act, the first presidential candidate or sitting president to have done so since the birth of privately owned corporate prisons some 45 years ago, and the first to try and legislatively end the practice of selling people on the open market since Abraham Lincoln. We consider this a major victory in progress in our efforts to end modern slavery in America. You'll hear about it word for word in a moment. We have a clip from an interview with Noam Chomsky that we want you to hear. It helps explain why we need such legislation and why we need it right now. Similar to Annie Dukin's case, hundreds of criminal cases in Oregon are being reevaluated after accusations that forsonic analysis or analyst Nikki Larson of the Oregon State Police Laboratory stole drugs she tested. We'll give you the info. A car chase turned deadly in northern San Bernardino on Friday when police shot and killed an unarmed man from a chopper yes like mutual of omaha like a big game hunter we'll share the story later and what we consider another abolitionist victory in progress a delegation of human rights arm of the Organiza- organization of america states received an earful Monday from alleged victims of police abuse in Miami-Dade County during the first leg of a fact-finding mission into racial discrimination and police violence in the U.S., Also, a panel of activists, researchers, community members and other volunteers on Monday unveiled a new report with 189 calls to action to address the scourge of racial inequity in and around St. Louis, Missouri, illuminated by a year of protests following the police shooting death of unarmed black teenager Michael Brown last August. Brother Johannan has the details. We skipped it last week. So let me ask again. What state did not actually ratify the flawed 13th Amendment until
1: 2013? What
2: it's longest, right. <laughs> what state's longest running commissioner of prisons faces prison himself for using the entire state's correction system as his own personal moneymaker? What state has had federal judges call the Juvenile Detention Center cesspools of unconstitutional violation? And where were the very last plantation chattel slaves in America freed from? The answer is Mississippi, and tonight we show you that Mississippi is Ferguson.
3: This week's rider of the 21st
2: Century Underground Railroad is Michelle Dawn Murphy, who was 17 years old when she was convicted of first-degree murder involving her own child, In November of 1995, she was freed in May 2014 based on DNA evidence and was exonerated four months later when Harris declined to retry her because of insufficient evidence. Our abolitionist in profile is Anna Mary Douglas, 1813 to 1882, who was best known as the first wife of black abolitionist Frederick Douglass. Expect all of that more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. You can find archived podcasts at New Radio. Radio.blogspot.com. And we invite you to join the conversation by calling us at 1-641-715-3660 extension five four nine pounds Just press star six and one to queue up from the conference line. What's happening, Scotty? What's up, Johanna? How about if we just start
4: this out right, this historic day out right? Peace, fam. Sounds good to me. We, uh... <clears throat> Have the Justice is Not for Sale Act, which addresses these problems of modern day slavery as we uh, know it to be, called private prisons, is one of the entry levels of it, is the private prison system, which uh, candidate Bernie Sanders has come out against, as you said in the intro, so we'll just kick right into what it says here. The Justice is Not for Sale Act addresses these problems by making the following reforms. Section 3 bar the federal government from contracting with private entities to provide and or operate prisons and detention facilities within two years. Starting two years after enactment, all adults in the custody of a federal agency will be held in facilities owned by the federal government and operated by federal employees. The Attorney General can provide a one-year extension if agencies cannot reasonably comply with such an extension. Section 4 bar state and local governments from contracting with private entities to provide and or operate prisons and detention centers within two years. Starting two years after enactment, state and local governments will be barred from contracting with private companies to provide and or operate incarceration or detention facilities for adults. The attorney general can provide a one-year extension to a state or local government that cannot reasonably comply with such an extension. Section 5. Reinstate the federal parole system. The federal parole system was abolished in 1984 for all crimes committed after 1987. Currently, prisoners are required to serve at least 85% of their sentence. Combined with mandatory minimums and the federalization of many crimes, this has increased the federal prison population to almost nine times its 1980 level, and federal prisons are 36% over capacity. Reinstating the federal parole system will allow individualized risk-based determinations regarding each prisoner and restore fairness in the system section six and seven increase oversight to prevent companies from overcharging inmates and their families for services like banking and telephone calls the consumer financial protection bureau and the federal communications commission would prevent companies from engaging in unfair practices and charging unreasonable rates for banking and telecommunications services
0: Section 8 in the requirement that ICE detain 34,000 immigrants. The detention quota imposed on ICE is an aberration in law enforcement. No other federal or local law enforcement agency detains individuals based on a daily quota. The federal government would save $1.4 billion annually by eliminating the daily bid quota and giving ICE the dis- the discretion to utilize more humane and effective alternatives to detention for immigrants identified as low risk section nine require ice to improve the monitoring of detention facilities to ensure humane treatment of detainees, facilities would be inspected by the Secretary of Homeland Security at least annually and by an independent third-party auditor at least biannually. The Secretary would conduct additional routine inspections, including unannounced inspections. Information obtained from these inspections would be made public. Section 10. In Immigrant Family Detention In 2014, the Obama administration increased the detention of immigrant families apprehended at the border. Consequently, there was an expansion of family detention facilities. These detention facilities are located in Texas and Pennsylvania, two of which are owned and operated by private prison companies. This legislation will direct the secretary of DHS to end the use of family detention immediately and provide ICE the discretion to utilize ATDs for immigrant families.
2: There you have it. And uh, we're just going to go ahead and follow that up with this
1: clip.
3: prospects for a broad anti-racist social justice movement coming out of that mobilization? There are prospects, but it's going to be very hard. This is a very racist society. I mean, it's pretty shocking. Uh, And uh, what has happened in the last roughly 30 years with regard to African Americans actually is very similar to what Baptist describes in the late 19th century. Uh, Remember what happened. The, the constitutional amendments after the during and after the Civil War were supposed to free uh, African American slaves. It did something for about ten years. Then there was a North-South compact, which essentially granted the, the former slave-owning states the right to do whatever they wanted. And what they did was criminalize black life in all kinds of ways. Now that created a kind of a slave force. In fact, one of the most interesting books on it, Douglas Blackman's, is called uh, "Worse Than Slavery" or something like that. Uh, it threw most mostly black males, but also women, into jail, uh, where they become a perfect labor force, much better than slaves. If you're a slave owner, you have to pay. For, you have to keep your capital alive. If the state does it for you, it's terrific. Uh, no strikes, no disobedience. A perfect labor force. A lot of the American Industrial Revolution in the late 19th, early 20th centuries is based on that. Actually, it pretty much lasted until the Second World War, when uh, there was a need for what's called free labor in the war industry. After that come about two two decades in which African-Americans had a kind of a shot at entering the society. Uh, a black worker get a job in an auto plant. The unions were still functioning, maybe buy a small house, send his kid to college or something. By the 1970s or 80s, it's going back to criminalization of black life. It's called the drug war, which is a racist war. Ronald Reagan was an extreme racist, denied it. And the whole drug war, so-called, is designed from policing up to you know, eventual release from prison uh, to make it impossible for the a black male community, and more and more women, and more and more Hispanics, Hispanics to be part of the society. In fact, if you if you look at American history, the first slaves came in 1619, and that's half a millennium. There have been about three or four decades in which African Americans had a limited degree of freedom. You know, not entirely, but at least some. Well, of course, it's for for black elites, there's some privileges, but I'm talking about the mass of the population, which is being, which has been uh, recriminalized and incidentally also turned into a slave labor force, this prison labor, for example. Well, this is American history. To break out of that is no small trick. In fact, if you take a look at the election, say the last election, uh, in many ways it's a civil war. Uh, the red states, the Confederacy, the extends a little beyond, but that's pretty much what it is. And, of course, uh, uh, this is a real battle.
2: There you go. Uh, I think that brought it into perspective, even saying to the point that what we're dealing with now is worse than slavery um, to very large degrees. And this, this was purposely done. In an unbroken line. And we only had 20 or 30 years of actual something like freedom. Even pointed out to the, uh, what the black elites have been involved in. And, you know, they've got theirs, but most of our majority didn't get ours. And I do believe, I'd like to say congratulations to both of you brothers because you helped push this legislation forward. It didn't exist in people's minds until you started pushing it out in this way. And, uh, yes, congratulations. It's not the end all be all, but it is the beginning of the end.
4: Right, right. Congratulations to you too, bro. Been out here on the front lines. I mean, people can see you. All they gotta, <laughs> I made myself laugh thinking about a, a clip of, uh, the brother from Onyx on that Breakfast Club interview. Do your Googles. All you gotta do is do your Googles on Max Parthus. You're gonna be able to see Max on the front lines. So definitely congratulations to you, Scotty, building the network up, man, from just the, the dream and building it into something where we can get our voices out there. Obviously, impacting the culture because what we talk about on this program, and what you talk about on uh, Political Prisoner Radio, the the news program every day. I mean, all of this is just one unified voice talking about freedom, man. So, you know, hats off to both of you, brothers, and thank you once again for letting me be a part of it. Word, word, man.
2: Uh, Any words about how you feel about the legislation? I have a few of my own, and uh, kind of a narrative that I'd like to share.
0: I have some, sh- uh, greetings to the listeners, greetings to, of course, all uh, the co-hosts and co-producers, Max and Johanna. Um, my thoughts, uh, on the bill is just, I'm gonna keep it simple. Um, if this is legislation, the criminalization, they talked about Reagan in 1984, you know, the drug war um bring the CIA, you know that's pretty much fact, that's congressional record that the CIA um with the knowledge of the Reagan administration was smuggling cheap cocaine which spurred on the crack epidemic, then they went about passing all of these laws um over the decades to just put people away for as long as possible and so of course going back to 1984 under the guise of a sentencing Reform bill, you know, similar to what we're hearing now today. Um, it, it really, <clears throat> the reform required them to do 85% of their time, just like was mentioned in the, uh, Justice is Not For Sale Act 2015, introduced by Bernie Sanders and, um, the, um, other representative out of Texas. And so I want to give his name out, uh, Congressman Raw. Uh, I can't pronounce that.
4: Right. Um uh,
0: Re- Grig- uh, I'm not <laughs> sure. Democrat Democrat out of Arizona. Because, you know, they being racially profiled down there with that ICE, you know, um, quota system. That, you know, is in what? Section, uh, what is that? In the uh, Section 8. Yeah, Section 8 of the bill. So that, when we was hearing on the news and stuff about... You know, people being profiled because they was brown or they look Mexican or you know what I'm saying. Uh, this is a result of the race, same racial profiling that we see a quota system that we've seen the NYPD still doing. Um, by the way, you know, racially profiling blacks and Latinos and, and, uh, people up there. So, um, but it's as simple as this. Also, the, uh, Reagan is the one that privatized. That's when the legislation that came in to start privatizing the federal government. They, you know, set the way always through slavery. You know, um, so like Max has documented and, and reported that right after, uh, 1865 with the passage of the fraudulent 13th amendment that South Carolina federal government built, you know, the first federal prison in South Carolina. Is that correct, Max? Exactly. One yeah. year after the emancipation. Yeah. So then when uh, Reagan started privatizing the prisons in the 18s, I mean, 1980s and whatnot, did the federal government set the way. Then the state started following. And all, of course, that's where the roots of the CCA, the GO group, all the MTC, all of the and, and little subgroups. I mean, it's a lot of sub. Groups out there or or smaller businesses profiting off of uh, 21st century slavery and human trafficking as prescribed by the 13th Amendment. But we don't know all their names, you know, investment funds, you know, what I'm saying like people have jobs like the teacher unions. You know, we just heard Columbia University divested, you know, from uh, investment in private prisons. So that's where all the uh, hundreds of millions, I'm sure, uh, since Reagan days that they have spent on, uh, campaigns to pass this, what they call in, you know, uh, the new Jim Crow mass incarceration legislation. And, and so they are the root cause of it. So abolishing, uh, industry, abolishing corporations, you know, and, and I think, you know, that's just a first step. I think that George Zoli and Thurgood Marshall, um, the third, I think it is, that's on the CCA board. All of those individuals, they should be, uh, indicted in an international criminal court for human, for slavery, man, and human trafficking. Uh, I'm serious about that, but this bill, we'll take it one step at a time. Let's abolish private prisons and put them out of business. Then, then, you know, um, that'll bring some relief. And then that's like one battle. The war ain't over. Look at it from a military standpoint. That's a battle. You got to win battles. And, and that's why, you know, politics do, politics do stick, uh, dictate, uh, military affairs. But anyway, uh, this will be a great victory won if it could get passed and put on pro, president, uh, let me, yeah, proxy president, the CEO of America, Barack Obama's desk. Cause he ain't said nothing about it. You know, and that's another thing I want to talk about. Where has been, where has been the media coverage? You know, I, I did that in my Black Talk Radio Weekly commentary that I, um, that, uh, Tiny Free and Friends play on their networks and media partners and whatnot. I talked about where is the media coverage? Why is, why haven't we seen Michelle Alexander on MSNBC with Melissa Harris Perry, Perry talking about the impact of this? Possibly could have, you know, uh, Michelle Alexander, what's your analysis? Now, I'm not putting it on Michelle. And, you know, they just go to show you the power of MHP, uh, as I hear some people refer as as to what um, is going to be broadcast from those platforms, what you who is writing, who is producing, who is deciding what gets talked about, but this has been absent across the board, not to pick on MSNBC or or any individual host, um, but on but on the experts like or so called experts like Neil Franklin. Um I haven't seen him being asked to do an interview, Michelle Alexander or anybody else that talk about criminal justice. Uh Max Parkers, Johanna Elias. Uh, Ain't nobody asked me, you know, for no interviews or or whatnot, but I'll be bringing on some people that's writing in the underground uh, media or, you know, I got a um, writer from the Huffington Post just wrote about prison slavery, private prisons and and whatnot. Um, So, but man, where has the media coverage? Where does uh, President Obama stand on this legislation? It's been over a week now. All right. And they had a press conference. We got the video. <laughs> and so, where, where, where you, you know, so why are they trying to pretend like um, this bill has not been introduced? That'll make you think, and that's why we got to take it upon ourselves and use the power of social media, you know, to gather signatures for the petitions and and whatnot in support of this legislation. I tweeted at the Pope today, and you know, the Pope had met with President Obama, and you know, I asked the Pope to, you know, what about uh, slavery? You, you know, what about slavery? Justice is not for sale Ad tagged. You know, so those are my thoughts. Let's keep it simple, though. If you abolish the industry, you abolish a lobby that is responsible for the legislation. For those that know about the American, again, American Legislative Exchange Commission or committee, Alec Koch, Koch Brothers is connected to that. All these, uh, uh you know, other corporations like, the geo group like correction corporations of america they responsible for all of this they are I mean, they're making billions billions annually you know billions and so and and it's it's just um it's time for to abolish it's time to abolish private prisons and jails in america so those are my thoughts if we eliminate them um we eliminate um We'll eliminate uh, some enemies on the battlefield. You know what I'm saying? To abolish slavery, we get rid of them, man. They got to the go. So, uh, that's those are my thoughts.
4: Right on, right on. Well, <clears throat> I mean, you went into depth on a lot of the things. I mean, we, obviously, we we are in agreement on on these type of issues. I'm maybe a little bit uh, more quick to call out the uh, media because, and, and and I'll be specific. Um, the media that that um, we get from the the talking heads that appear to be people of color, just to be quite frank. I mean, you enjoy the praise and enjoy the the, the pats on the head when you discuss these so-called issues or have these specials, uh, Black in America, or have the. I remember Melissa Harris Perry had the series where she did address extrajudicial murders, uh, police killings. Uh, name the names and you know so when they get these moments these little token moments they take the praise then so you have to be able to take a little bit of criticism i'm not saying i hate nobody or you know ban them from get them off tv or nothing like that but it's just a matter of this is a major thing that's going on this is not some small little you know little affair or whatever this is a major thing that has happened this this legislation even being proposed to speak against people it's, it's that are, smoke. yes, and it's like I just can't imagine that 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 they're either not talking about it in their personal lives, which makes them completely uh, unauthentic as as individuals, because they would put themselves on the news like like you know they would be on top of something like this. So if they're not talking about it in their personal lives, they're a bunch of airheads and don't deserve the praise they get for anything they do. If they are talking about it in their personal lives. And they're not laying, laying it down, laying it on the line. Like, look, I'm putting this on the show. I don't care what you say. This needs to be out there. Then they're hypocrites. So either they don't know or they do know and they don't want to say nothing. So I can't, I can't give them a pass for that either way, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with this once it gets uh, traction in Congress. Because mind you, the situation we're in is bipartisan created. This is not, uh, Democrats did, or uh, Republicans did all this and put all these people. Yeah. Ronald Reagan's a racist. Yeah. Ronald Reagan was a part of a lot of stuff. Yeah. Okay. I agree with Noam Chomsky on that. But, um, 1991, 1992, uh, Joe Biden's crime bill, Bill Clinton's crime bill. <laughs> right. Are you kidding right, me? Right.
0: Right. Been bi- bipartisan effort. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, man. That.
4: This has been bipartisan back in them early nineties is when they came out with the revamp of the death penalties they added like 60 crimes that are punishable by death and it just trickled down from there i mean so these are this is bipartisan created and in a lot of cases very heavily democrat party created and influenced and we've shown over the years on new Abolitionist radio right here the evidence showing it's been i think it was 45 million dollars plus spent by both geo group and cca corrections corporation of america on both democrat and republican Uh, uh, political campaigns all the way from local mayors uh, state officials of all sorts, senators attorneys general, I mean all the way up the line to the damn president so they've been lining everybody's pockets so it's going to be interesting to see what happens
2: well my perspective on it is as I said it's incredibly historic the date it was released, uh, the date of the fugitive slave laws passing uh, September 18th, 1850 um, is historic in itself. The idea that is targeting a specific industry that has become a staple in our society and globally to banish them from operating within our borders and in contracts with the United States government, who right now in the co-sponsoring state, uh, the other congressman who sponsored it in Arizona, they have contracts set up for 25 years, 100% guaranteed occupancy rates right now in the prisons themselves. In Arizona, there's a prison built for Hawaiians, as we reported here, where they ship Hawaiians to Arizona. It is a human trafficking hub. They're targeting the citizenry, and they're targeting the immigrants and making fortunes off of it. So it's historic that it would even touch on any of that. In 45 years, this has become this global monstrous, uh, industry where G4S is the largest employer in the entire continent of Africa, and also the largest privately owned uh, prison corporation in the entire world. <laughs> well, it's the largest, third largest privately owned corporation in the world. That's how big they've grown. So it is historic. And as you said, if the people are not talking about it and, and pushing this out there, then you got to check their motives about it. Um, this is the first time we've endorsed any legislation. I do want to point out this doesn't free anybody, okay? It doesn't free anybody. They're giving them one year after they put this into effect, this ban into effect, to manage a transfer of prisoners from these private facilities to federal facilities. Now, once they do that, all of the paperwork that is uh, associated with these private facilities, the corporations, is going to have to go through federal hands to be reviewed. All these no-bid contracts that have been going out that we've seen happen in Mississippi where the entire state is found to be corrupt. All of these different behind-the-scenes, backroom deals that were paid for in full by these lobbyists who are bribing judges, that's all going to start to be visible. And you're going to have these place. them' like, where are we going to put all of these people? This 780,000 or some odd number, where are we going to put them all? So these things are going to come into question and they can only lead in one direction to us eventually holding uh, trials of some sort and prosecuting people for what they've been doing. <laughs> because what they've been doing is a crime against humanity. They're selling human beings on the open market in the form of prison stocks and jail bonds. These beds have heads. That's how you got to look at it. These are human beings. So don't look at it as the end-all be-all, but this is historic. This is the beginning of the end for them, and they're going to try a controlled demolition, I think. If they're going to have to go down, they're going to go down how they want to. So be very wary as well of what goes on outside of it. Uh, That's my thoughts on it
0: so you think you think that um once it gets in congress and um is debated that they'll be trying to put some exception clauses in there like they did in 1865 so it
2: may not even make it through congress it may be getting continually drawn possibility by young offenses.
0: If there's not a big Historic outcry from the masses. Right, right. We have to get the people behind this. That's why we
2: say this is so important. You got to get behind it. We got to get them to take this as serious. Only if we take it as serious,
0: justice or else. Right, right. So yeah, justice or else. This should be a highlight. I'm right, talking about some real or else. Because <laughs> exactly. I'm serious, man. Who, who in a right mind did you know those? People who sacrificed their lives, uh, you know, and I have researched and read personal stories, even about you know p- people from here, Union soldiers and their activity in North Carolina and the battles that was fought. And well, but in the totality, a lot of people gave their lives. I mean, actually, did volunteer. They were they while they had a uh, draft and whatnot, but a lot of the quote unquote people of color, indigenous folks, uh, Africans. Uh, they had been enslaved and free black people, you know what I'm saying? Because they were like, you know, uh, prior to the Civil War, there was like a half a million, um, black people here, you know, and that's back in like 18, you know, maybe 55 or eight, you know, prior to the Civil War breaking out. And so, you know, um, we're at we're at one of those times, man. Are we? They didn't accept slavery. Why are we accepting slavery? Have we become comfortable with slavery? Once we know that slavery was never abolished, it was only amended. Then anything else after that means to say that we we perfectly fine with it. You know. So what segment of the population in America is fine with slavery? The continuation of it. One of the things that people can do
2: immediately is, uh, as Muaddin explained to us, how we use these hashtags as sort of a uh, force, a power that we can tap into. Start using the hashtag when you share stories about this prison system with justice is not for sale. Okay? So we can compile this information as a resource uh, to be able to find easily. And for those that are looking, to see what we're talking about. So that is a small tool you can start with, but definitely share this, sign a petition that Scotty Reed has put out, and let's get this going. In the meantime, I think we need to take a station identification break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about another case that has been revealed where, again, analysts and technicians are sending people to prison, and they are actually the criminals. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We'll be right back after these messages.
1: A community is where you control your police, you control your commerce, you control your education, you control your house. We don't control none of that. We live in a hood. Well, what about the?
3: This is Brother Elliot. First of time for an awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, New
1: Media for the New Millennium
2: peace and welcome back to new abolitionist radio uh yeah it is a historic day and we want to get in and on some of these stories you should see our cutting room floor the stories that we weren't able to share so we try to narrow down to each one of these and they're all very important stories that you should be aware of this one right here shows how a lot of innocent people again are going to prison while the criminals are actually sending them without caring that there's human beings at the, at the end of their actions. This comes from uh, our family, Kim Petit, I believe, out in Oregon. And it says, Ben Oregon from KPTV, hundreds of criminal cases in Oregon are being reevaluated after accusations that for Sonic analyst Nick Larson of the Oregon State Police Laboratory stole drugs she tested. Larson is accused of taking pills and other drugs from the lab in Bend and replacing them with over-the-counter drugs. She began a career with the Oregon State Police in 2007 and has worked in labs in Springfield, Pendleton, and Bend. District attorneys across the state say they are still trying to figure out how much damage was done. A former analyst, Jeff Dofisey, is accused of overstating evidence in a 2005 trial. He has since retired. Now, what they're saying here basically is more than this one woman's involved in it, and it goes as far back as 2005, that they were putting, uh, they had access to drugs here that were being tested through the uh, police station. But instead of testing it, they were replacing it with over-the-counter drugs and very likely either A, using it themselves, sharing it with friends, but more than likely selling it like the average drug dealer that they were arresting. Now the district attorney is looking into filing federal charges against them as well. During the investigation, Larson has been put on administrative leave. Did you hear
0: what I just said?
2: She's been put on administrative leave and the other one was allowed to
0: retire. I mean, they kill people when they're allowed to do that. So I'm not so shocked. That's the nature of this beast. Man, So,
2: you know, basically the drugs come in, they file them under what kind of drugs, if it's been tested as a positive. Is that cocaine or is that soap? You know, oh, it's cocaine. Or they might put soap, you know what I mean? And keep the cocaine and put soap there instead. This is how they were uh, running this lab, apparently. This is a tragedy when you think of the innocent lives that are being traumatized by these demonic, careless, apathetic people.
4: Yeah, man. More of the same, like Scotty said. This is what is par for the course, what they do when the beast gets loose. We're going to continue to report on these stories, whether it's the the, the uh, guards murdering people. We talked about what happened in Attica and them guards, three guards was the first guards in the history of the state of New York prison system to ever face charges for anything other than rape. For beating that man damn near to death, broke something like 17 bones in his body or whatever, beat the brother down, threw him down the stairs, tried to throw him in solitary confinement. The solitary guard said, you ain't bringing him in here to die. So they had to take him to the hospital, barely survived. They all was all facing charges and facing federal charges for falsifying uh, documents. When they put in the report, all the lies they put in a report and the day before they trial came, they were allowed to take a plea deal where none of them faced any kind of jail time and they all just had to quit their jobs. So this is just one isolated incident that reflects what goes on in all of these incidents with uh, prison guards. We know about the police and what law enforcement is doing across the country, how they get off, don't even face charges most of the time, all kinds of ways of twisting the law to say that it's not illegal to kill this person who was unarmed and innocent of any crime or any wrongdoing whatsoever. And then we have our brothers and sisters and our friends and our neighbors and in a lot of people's cases, this in denial, our husbands and our wives, the children that we're raising up, the teachers of our children in the schools, our bosses, our managers at our jobs, our pastors. When we have these people who are out here living and thinking of all black people that just don't want to do right, that just don't want to act right. If you would just not break the law, if you would just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, if you would just do right, instead of talking about how the man is trying to get you, you could have whatever you want in this world. I mean, I get these kind of messages from people anonymously a lot of times. In the inbox, across social media, right on my page in the middle of a post, we'll talk about it something, some event. And this is the prevailing logic, is that people just don't want to act right. That people just don't want to do right. You can get caught, if you didn't have... Uh, three baby mamas, all, uh, with three different babies and three baby mamas and get caught selling drugs and have to go to prison, then your life wouldn't suck. This is the, this is the way people talk. Mind you, you got situations like Andy Duke and you got situations like this and how many thousands of untold situations that ain't even been, ain't even been busted out that affect tens of thousands, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of people's lives. That's what we're dealing with, man.
2: Yeah. out of control from one side to the other. The justice report that came out about Ferguson really examined a lot that was happening in that area, and we're going to expand on that later. But we've also, here from New Abolitionist Radio, shared other reports that news agencies have sponsored, like out in Texas, uh, where they're doing uh, the same thing. Policing for Profit is one of those things, which you can find at the newwordorder.com website, our North Star website. You can see it featured there, the Policing for Profit. Uh, series. So you can see how they're targeting people. You don't have to do anything wrong. You don't have to do anything wrong. You just got to be alive and you're holding your lottery ticket to be arrested or prosecuted or beat up or even killed for that day by police. Um, Speaking of kills by police, there's another story that came out. And this one is sets incredible precedence. I, you know, I I don't even, when I first saw it, I was cursing like a sailor. Because I had said earlier, watching the technology that's being advanced, that's only a matter of time before they start having cops, slobs, sitting in some air conditioned office shooting you with freaking drones. And that's where we're heading towards now. We got a policeman who just shot an unarmed man dead from a helicopter. From a freaking helicopter, man.
4: America. An unarmed it's, like it's, man. it's like it's some kind of a. It's like to me, uh, what was the brother's name? God, God help me, I forgot the brother's name. Out of, out of Tulsa, where the old man was a was a standby. He wasn't even a cop. He paid to be a, an honorary deputy in the in the department, right? And uh, went ahead and, and shot and killed the brother. It's like it's some kind of a bucket list, quasi um, treasure hunt type of something going on, man. This, this cannot possibly be just organically occurring events in the world that we live in, that people are, that black folks continue to die in the most bizarre ways, like black folks die in the most one-off, uh, crazy one-time only customized methods of death that you can ever imagine. And you can't even duplicate it. Like black people just die in these crazy ways. Whoever heard of this? I mean, it's like Marlon Perkins or some Mutual of Omaha, like you said in the in the thing, the Wild Kingdom, following him around in the helicopter and, and shooting him with the dart. Only they shooting bullets. Like. Right?
2: They don't even kill the animals, but us, they kill. Shoot, but yes, freaking kill. Yeah. This dude was being chased by the police, apparently on the highway. You know, they've got the helicopter following him as well. So they, I, uh, he was forced into a turn where he's going the wrong way on the highway. So instead of driving the wrong way on the highway, he just pulls the car over and gets out the car. Rolls forward and hits another car while he starts running. This is the point where they kill him. Now, he no longer has a dangerous vehicle that could cause injury to pedestrians or anything like that. And nonetheless, you're sitting in a helicopter thinking you're in freaking Afghanistan and you're trained as a sniper and you got this PTSD, I hate Negroes thing going on. And you decide to just shoot this man and kill him. It's Just a damn shame, and, as oh, yeah? I said, set, it sets precedence uh we have we cannot allow this to ever happen again i don 't care if it's from a helicopter from the space station, and certainly not from no damn drones
4: right well, it's like um your boy uh america sheriff uh David Clark, when he sat there in front of the house uh uh was the judiciary committee uh, sitting there in front of a These folks and telling them all this bragging about, you know, black on black crime and these numbers and these rates and he's got all this science and all his experience and he's talking all the trash that he can possibly get away with talking. And when he was confronted with one simple question about mental illness. Now, if you want to talk about mental illness, Sheriff, uh, do you happen to have any kind of uh, numbers on? Uh, there's 40 million people in America that have been diagnosed with some degree of mental illness or another, and is under some kind of treatment. Sheriff, do you have any kind of numbers for us on what law enforcement, what reflects uh, the numbers in law enforcement, in the sense of most of these people are coming out of the military, which we're seeing so and so percentage of military vets that come out with PTSD and other um, uh, psychological disorders. Do you have any numbers for us, Sheriff? Is this, is this bearing any kind of a does this have any kind of bearing on uh, on law enforcement and the, the brutality we're seeing and the, and the murders that we're seeing? What do you know about this, Sheriff? The Sheriff sat there blank-faced and said, well, I don't know. They don't know. They don't, they don't even know what kind of animals. We got police in us out here. They don't have a freaking clue what the hell is going on. All they know is drive more people into the jail system, more people into the court system, more people into the prison system, more Communities destroyed, more lives ruined, and and if we if we get caught, we'll give them a couple hundred thousand for the 30 years they did. That's all they know.
3: Man,
2: it's a shame considering 700,000 vets are in prisons. They are just using these vets yeah. com- with, with no concern for their lives at all. Like, come on and be a cop. are going to give you a gun, send you out there amongst citizens. And, yeah, we know you're a trained sniper. You're on medication right now. You're dealing with suicidal thoughts and you hate certain people because of the color of their skin because you was taught to shoot Muslims and you come back here and we're just going to get a gun and tell you to police these little five-year-olds that are running up and down the street. Sure. And we don't know because nobody bothers to look what kind of medications you're on. We don't keep those types of records. We, you know, we talk among ourselves. How you feeling today, Tim? You feel like you're going to shoot somebody today?
4: No? Okay, we're going to work. Reminds me of the Alabama, the situation um in Alabama where they where they body slammed that old man, sixty year old Indian dude, is because some person called a man. You just tell like this, some white person called. Ain't no damn body else called nine one one and said it's a skinny black man walking through my neighborhood. Call the police and tell them that two cops show up and body slammed this old man. He's well, paralyzed. You know, that's those veterans. That's them PTSD victims, psychologically altered, got a problem, and ain't nobody trying to help them. They just giving them a damn gun and badge.
2: Well, let's uh let's kind of segue with that because we are there's things happening about that right now. There's this is uh, a human rights organization that's doing interviews out in the Miami-Dade county area. And, you know, we've been reporting on Miami, Miami-Dade County as one of the worst places in the whole freaking country when it comes to corruption amongst the police and how they treat people. We've even had stories where one brother had been arrested over 200 times, simply going back and forth to work at the same locations over and over and over again. And the story is uh where they're interviewing people who have been subject to these humiliations and brutalities and getting the stories from them so they can start figuring out where they need to go from here again this leads to national prosecutions eventually ha- happening and apparently this group has some teeth um just to read some of it, it said it's an issue that has been has that must be confronted it can no longer be invisible and we must all address it antoine said in kicking off monday's meeting we think it is a very important time To do this report. And Antoine acknowledged that verifying the accuracy of antidotes can be somewhat difficult, but she said the commission isn't conducting a fly by night investigation. I do think we tend to get a fairly accurate picture, she said. She says she's been pushing for the review for four years now, and her work dates back to 2012. So she's familiar with maybe some of the stories we've been putting out. You know what I mean? And she said, uh, this goes back to when the commission held a tribunal on Florida's controversial stand-your-ground laws after the killing of Trayvon Martin. And from what I understand, the relationship is that the government, U.S. government, is part of this uh state's organization, and they're compelled to uh be, I guess, part of these hearings and investigations now. So the truth is about to come out, and it's about to come out from the people who it was inflicted upon.
4: Mm. Well, let's hope that there's more, um, movement and more, um, more, uh, life in, in this effort than what we just sat and witnessed. Uh, a lot of it thanks to our, our friend and fellow abolitionist, uh, George Malincrod, the former guest on the program, right. uh, who laid Arthur, his life basically on the birth. line. Yes. How to Get Away with Murder, the Darren Rainey story laid his life, you know, basically on the line because these people are not taking any prisoners that, you know, that are trying to protect this system down there with the record number of deaths in the Florida Department of Corrections himself. And, uh, there were several employees that came out to speak in the open hearing when the senator, uh, Florida senators, uh, came out and told him, you, you will not face any repercussions for telling us what's really going on. You need to come speak frankly so we can investigate this. The Florida Senate worked and, and it worked. It really made some headway, put forward some good legislation to start making change. It went over to the House side. The House tore that thing to shreds, put out their own BS measure, and ended the damn legislative session without a damn thing happening. So, I mean, damn, man, you got all these people put their lives on the line, put their jobs on the line, you know, the the ability to take care of their families and the ability to walk around safe without looking over their shoulder. I mean, you're dealing with murderers. So who who are you playing with? You're dealing with murderers. You're not, you're, this, we, we're not arguing at the school over the teachers in the lounge or some shit. We're talking about people that are killing people behind bars. And you coming out blowing the whistle on these people. And you think that they don't have the capacity to kill you walking down the street? And they just this dismiss is an the opportunity,
2: chambers. too, brother. You know, we keep talking about the racketeering charges, RICO charges. Right. So you're right. out there. These people are providing you with the evidence and the proof. All you got to do is be willing to carry it forward. And involved in this as well is the Black Lives Matter movement. Rosetta uh, Bryson, a co-founder of the South Florida Black Lives Matter movement, is, was speaking on it. And she said that the Florida Florida is a region hostile and unapologetically vicious to people of color who are arrested simply for being black or brown. And it's not just driving while black. It's walking while black. It's eating while black, she said. And Anton said that the delegation came to Miami-Dade because of widely published reports about incidents of police abuse involving African-Americans. In the past four years, shootings in Miami led to an ongoing inquiry to the U.S. Department of Justice. Officers in Fort Lauderdale Miami Beach have been fired for sending... Ra- I remember that, those racist texts and emails. Right, and Miami right. Gardens police have been accused of racial profiling. That's the area where the brother 200 times arrested. And North Miami Beach police have been caught using mug shots of black men for target practice. This is why they're out there. And you're going to find... This in Florida, you're gonna find it in Louisiana, you're gonna find it in New York, you're gonna find it all over the country,
4: because it is all over the country. It's deep, man. It's deeply rooted in 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 the in the soil. It's what Noam Chomsky was saying in that clip, you know? Right. It, it, it is what it is, man. This is where we live. This is what's going on. So.
2: Well. Yeah, it's it's what's going on, and it is very deeply embedded into our culture. Well, we're coming up on uh, our next part of the program, and we are running a little behind time, Your Honor, but we want to hear about the Ferguson Report and the information that was released recently from the group who came together to make these uh, suggestions of it. Is that what they're considered?
4: Let, uh, yeah, suggest- yeah. yeah. All right. So- it yeah. Go
1: ahead.
2: That's
4: what it is. That's what it is, ultimately. I mean, I don't want to sound down on it, and I know we just got through covering the, the legislation that uh, Candidate Sanders put forward and um, not trying to sign down, sound down on these things, as we said to that, you know, it's a process. So this is a step in the process. And the same thing with this, this report came out about a week ago. So again, one of those days, like when the Sanders legislation came out, you know, these are historic moments, you know, in, in our, in our country's path towards actual freedom, you know, freedom. and um we, we really got to get the word out. So they, the Ferguson, uh, commission put forward this uh, report called forward through Forg- Ferguson a path toward racial equity okay. and they they go relatively well into depth uh covering the the inequities uh, along racial lines um in the policing um in the uh judicial branch in the fines in the in the jailing um just breaking down the systems of communities uh, all around not just Ferguson but St. Louis County overall And as we reported on this program, you know, uh, quite a while back, you know, from the beginnings of Ferguson. I mean, I really feel once again like I thank you, brothers, for inviting me to even be a part of this program and being able to see that we we really do affect. You know, it's like a it's like a wave in the pool, you know, I mean, the waves go out and affect the society at large because the things that we were discussing Mm -hmm. when Michael Brown was killed. I mean, this didn't take anybody to tell us to do this. We were just looking for all the information we could find so we could give people truthful, fact-based reporting on what was going on in Ferguson. And we were able to break this kind of information that now this report is made up to address a lot of those things. Um, so this a commission of 16 volunteer members of the commission It says uh came from a variety of backgrounds, represented a diversity of communities, experiences, and opinions. Uh, it names off several of the members and talks about how they put together this um uh, uh This commission, after hundreds and hundreds of people volunteered um to to put together, you know, working groups and get these reports. So this is kind of like with the last story when you're talking about how they brought out citizens to actually give, you know, their in- information on what happened again. Like what happened with the DOJ report? Investigators come in, talk to the people, go into the courts, look at the notes, look at the minutes of the city council meetings. I mean, break it all down. So it's not rhetoric. It's not emotions. It's not woe is me, the white man holding me down. It's actual facts and figures. It's actual pro, uh, racial profiling reports. It's actual information that's, that's, uh, that's, that's in the court records and in the records of uh, the historic annals of the city government itself. So, anyway, what did they find? Well, they found what we've already reported. It's incredibly grotesque numbers of injustice going on in Ferguson along racial lines. As we've been telling you, they found out that it's not just Uh, in the uh, the law itself but it also breaks down into the health inequities the life expected expectancy of residents uh, by zip codes broken down where there's predominantly black folks living Uh, like in the white neighborhoods they named off one clayton missouri 63105 population is barely nine percent of black the life expectancy of those residents is 85 years the life expectancy of a resident in 63016, which is North St. Louis, which is 95% black, is only 67 years. So, this is literally talking about life and death issues, not just jail and getting caught up in the jail, but your life and your death and the expectancy of a person to only live to 67, where white folks expected to live to 85. Damn. So, they went in depth and talked about, they broke out the, the reports, uh, gave us the figures. Um, So, you know, the same kind of numbers as people that are regular listeners to this program here on the on the series that you investigate and and present every week, Max, the Ferguson is America series and giving us all these states and their numbers. Um, It's just appalling. So realizing we are somewhat short on time to really cover it, this this report is actually enough to to it would it would do justice to give it, you know, uh, an hour of the program really to break down the different sections and the numbers. The recommendations, but uh, just to let people know, it is out there, and I will put a link on the New Abolitionist Radio page so people can look uh, look through it. It's over 100 pages long, but the, the information is just compelling as always. I mean, you can never get away from the numbers. Uh, here's a few statistics that we gathered in the process of a work. St. Louis is the fifth most racially segregated of 50 large metros in the United States of America today. The fifth most racially segregated city, St. Louis. Between 2000 and 2013, the number of residents living below the federal poverty line in St. Louis grew by 53 percent. In 2012, 17.8 percent of all children in St. Louis County and 41 percent of all children in St. Louis City lived in poverty. Failing to address economic mobility of poor children is projected to decrease the U.S. GDP by about 4 percent year over year for the lifetime of these children, costing the entire country nearly seven trillion goddamn dollars. I mean, excuse me, man, but damn, when is when are people going to care, man? They keeping won't even people recognize people, it. Keeping <laughs> people in poverty like this is going to cost us seven trillion dollars over the lifetime of the children. Come on, that that doesn't even make sense.
2: Does people want, it's I, I, I try to say that it's cognitive. Cognitive dissonance sometimes, but again, I also note that it's not just that; it's also people that want this to stay in play. There's a population that like it just the way it is, and would increase it if they could.
4: So this is is that kind of news and more news like that. They did their homework, they went in depth, they reported, you know, on all these kind of numbers, and it's not it's not how the DOJ report was so dismissed, and still to this day is disputed and disparaged and, and 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 just hated by racists and racist suspects and proxy racists and puppets that still to this day cannot acknowledge that DOJ report on Ferguson. They just cannot accept anything in it. All they can do is say Michael Brown was a thug and he deserved what he got. The report said that, that Darren Wilson was – uh, defended his life. So if he didn't attack, I mean, you the same line of shit. I'm sorry. But let me hush. I'm busting. Let me stop. It's just you see the news, you see the information, you see the facts, the figures. I don't have any patience for people that will not read the numbers, that will not regard the facts and the figures. You, you You're a joke to me. You are a joke. You're the walking dead. You're a zombie. You have no life. You have no meaning in life. You have no purpose on this earth. You are wasting air that I could be breathing fresh coming out of your mouth. I don't want to breathe your air. I don't want to see you in my horizon. I don't want to see you on this planet if you are so ignorant and so dedicated to racism that you cannot acknowledge simple numbers. They just told you seven trillion dollars It's going to cost this whole country to keep black folks in these hoods in one hood broke for life.
2: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio with Scotty Reed, Johanna and and Max Parthas uh, It's a historic day Amazing legislation came out that started the beginning of the end for what we know as modern day slavery and we're seeing the reactions and the truth come to light and people are asking the right questions for a change We'll be right back after these messages They started on slave ships Hey,
1: what, Wait, 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 wait. There are more records of slave ships than one would dream. It seems inconceivable. A genuine and effective for 200 years ship safe carrying property slaves. man man in an In the face of the violence that we've been uh, experiencing for the past 400 years, we actually doing our people a disservice. In fact, it's a crime. It's a crime. Here come the, <laughs> the drums. How do you describe desperation to someone who is not desperate? Began a letter to me from U.S. political officer, Odrin Latuluo, who went on to depict everyone in the management control unit. I tried to say he woken up at one o'clock in the morning. Like our friends and riot, holy thought this country was born mm. out of genocide. Mm-hmm. That's the political genesis of the slave system, political genesis of the prison system. This country was born by a genus, a genus a the a genocide, a genetic. And of the political genesis of slavery, Black racism the prison system. Play racism the prison system. Black racism the prison system. Black racism is This country was
0: born out of genocide. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for live programming schedules. Visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com.
2: Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. I understand we have quite a few callers or listeners on the line. If you'd like to call in and ask a question or comment, the number, uh, just dial in star six and one to queue up from the conference line so we know you want to ask a question or make a comment. Only ask that you keep it brief. We uh, have very little time today and so much to talk about, but please uh, feel free to call in. All right. Um, in the meantime, I'll talk and, and tell you what we're about to do next. And if we get a caller, we'll stop for the moment and get into that. Uh, every week, as or at least almost every week, sometimes we've been they had to skip it two or three times. We do the America is Ferguson series based on the DOJ report from Ferguson, but we expanded it to look at the states rather than the cities. Sometimes we look at specific
0: states, like we did with Baltimore. Max, we do we do have a caller. Uh, All right, great.
2: Uh, state your name, where you're calling from, and your question or comment, please.
0: Yeah,
5: hey guys, this is Greg down in South Carolina in Greenville. How are y'all doing?
2: Hey, Greg, what's Good
5: evening, up, Greens. Greenville? Good evening, everyone. Um, yeah, you know, I was at this uh, human rights conference this past weekend. I was uh, commenting to, to Max about it online today. And um, they were, you know, think about this. How long have we had mass communication, um, like radio and television, and then the Internet is recent? And how much of that time has access to that kind of technology been available to the masses? Very, very little time. And so, you know, to a certain extent, I, I, I completely understand, Johannan, but, you know, these guys have been, and this is a, mass media is a very powerful weapon and it's been directed towards all of us for a long time, not for our own best interests. So when, when people don't understand, I mean, it's like these people like you were saying, Scotty, people get caught up in this in this uh chemtrails and whatever kind of crap. It's just it's confusion, but we're fed nothing but confusion since the day we're born. So I, I mean that's I no agree. excuse, but I agree to agree I mean, that's, with
6: I, I that's, agree
5: the, with that's you. the junk we get. I agree with you. But we but but people are slowly waking up and, and things like this is part of why they're slowly waking up. Yes. You know, right. and, and, and and I mean <laughs> I was talking with Leticia today, and I mean, look at how many people who have family members behind bars. I've done it myself to my own uh, nephew. Um, you know, have family members who are behind bars, and never talk to them. Ever, never even admit that they have a family members who. Right. they Yeah, they're in Detroit now. Whatever. You know, right. I mean, come on. And, and w- when you consider the number of people who are in jail, who are in jail for. For no reason, they're in dangerous. They're dangerous in no way, shape, or form. People in jail because they couldn't make uh, payments to right. their their ex spouse. Right. Tell me how the hell that makes sense, okay? And, and and you want me to think there's a whole lot of justice in this world in those sets of circumstances? So, it, it, I agree with you completely. Anyone who can look at these facts with a with a with anything approaching a common sense mind has to see the reality in front of them. Like I say all the time, the census is on TV every single night and every night it's sunny. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Tell them where they can reach you, Greg. So, uh, in in case they want to find out more. Oh, Lord knows. (laughs) (laughs)
5: Um, well, the conference happened. It's the, um, it's, uh, it's the, uh, the Carolina human rights conference. And it, um, it's called Chronic 2015 so the next one will be Chronic 2016. Hey, I'm not sure where the next one's going to be.
0: Have y'all been posting um, about it on social media on Occupy the Microphone or
3: or what? Well, they
5: did. Uh I was just invited by uh by someone and uh and went it and went to it and um I'm not sure what's going to be happening with Occupy the Microphone cuz the radio station that we're on has been sold um and uh but you know, I don't have any idea what's going to happen with that but You can always like us at at Facebook.com slash Occupy the Microphone.
2: (laughs) All right, there you go, (laughs) Occupy the Microphone, guys. You're right, brother. It's it's getting out there, and thanks for calling in. We appreciate you, Greg.
5: Absolutely. I I wish I remembered to do it more often.
4: Thanks, guys. All right, peace, man.
1: Q&AQ is cleared.
4: He's got a good point, and since I'm going off all the time, you know, I I will allow for that angle. You know, I mean, you two are always – You know, whether it's behind the scenes or here on, you know, on live on broadcast reminded me to just, you know, come on, take it down. I really do try to remember to do that, to have more patience and more understanding about this. I really promise you I do. But on the other hand, people, you got to understand. Like I told you last night, Max, every week we get an opportunity to do this program. It's the same reason why we started off, why I kicked off and I've got to get back to it. You know, I've had some other personal stuff going on trying to get that in balance. I've got to get back to Abolitionist Daily. But every time we do this program, every week, it feels like to me, this is the only chance somebody has to get their voice outside of that cell, has to get some kind of light into that cell, has the only chance to get some kind of hope that the slavery is going to end, the raping is going to end, the starvation is going to end. The beatings are going to end. The intimidation, the psychological manipulation and terrorism of their mental mind, the breaking of their soul is going to just take, even if it's an inch forward, a step toward ending that in their life. That's all I feel when we do these programs. So if I get passionate about the I'm, BS that's causing yeah, it, to go I, on I feel forgiving.
0: you. I mean, like, I tweeted again at the Pope. You know, yeah. he just left Cuba, so there was no shortage of mass media that was saying, well, the Pope need to talk to Fidel Castro or Raul right, Castro right. about prisoners and political prisoners and freedom. And like, you know, the Cuban people are so much more oppressed than people who live within the borders of the United States of America. Right. You know, where, again, you know, we talk about all the time on this program and others talk about the world's largest prison population which includes men, women, and children. And when you talk about torture and things of that nature, people want to accuse people of uh, exaggerating the facts. But the fact is, solitary confinement is is torture. And on Political Prisoner Radio, we tell you about prisoners that's been in solitary confinement of 40-plus years. And then if they get out, like a Hugo Pinel set up to be murdered. So, man. I feel I know why you're passionate. I think
2: we all are, brother. And like you said, it is a short period of time that we've had this opportunity. And I know that each of us, once we got a hold of the idea that we could use our own understanding and this technology to help awaken our brothers and sisters to what we clearly saw, that has expanded. It's just a matter of time, man. We've documented it here for years now. A new abolitionist radio, step by step, the change is taking place. Have hope. One of the ways that change takes place is by informing you or educating you on just exactly what you're dealing with. And that's what the Ferguson is America series is. And as a matter of fact, excuse me, today's uh, state is going to give me nightmares for life. It's just that bad, man. Uh, We reported on a lot of terrible things here, like criminal activities, like saying, that there's a state where they're using solitary confinement to make more money because after being investigated it was found that these prisons in this state were getting uh forty some odd thousand dollars a year to house prisoners in uh general population, but if they pushed them into solitary confinement, they would get upwards of over seventy thousand dollars a year because it required more guards and uh, more work or whatever it may be, but they were exploiting these people in order to make more money that way, and it resulted in nearly a 20% increase in 2013 of people in solitary confinement. That was in Mississippi. We've reported on the school-to-prison pipeline where the state was being sued, uh, where the school was working with the prisons to send the children – to these juvie centers, and to the prisons from the high schools. That was Mississippi. We talked about Christopher Epps, the longest-running commissioner in the state of Mississippi, and found out that he was using the entire state's prison system as his own personal cash exchange, working with a man who was a former judge and legislator now working for private prisons and was also the head of the Board of Education. The prisons, particularly the juvenile prisons in Mississippi, were so bad that a federal judge came in and said they were cesspools of constitutional violations. And when he said this, those systems were getting a 100% approval rating from the American incarceral uh, Corporate, uh, I forget what the name of this organization that gives out these ratings to prisons, but Christopher Epps was the head of the damn company that gave him out. He was giving himself 100% ratings while he had people living in cesspools, literally. So these are the things that are happening in Mississippi. Mississippi didn't ratify the 13th Amendment, Amendment until 2013. Actually, it was 2005, but they forgot the dot of the I across the T, and nobody noticed it until 2013 when they finally did so. Which means all the time, they had never ratified it. And, you know, we celebrate Juneteenth, which is a celebration of the time when the last slaves in America received the news that the Emancipation Proclamation had, uh, had uh, come about and they were free. Well, I hate to bust your bubble, but they were not the last slaves to be released. The last slaves to be released was in 2010 in Mississippi, where there were people who had been still living on plantations for generations and didn't know slavery had ended in that way. That's Mississippi. That's what we're dealing with out there. Um, Let me get into our statistics. Mississippi is Ferguson. Population quick facts, population 2004 estimate. uh, 2,994,000. 3 million, basically. Of that 3 million, the whites represent 60%. Blacks represent 37.5%. That's a pretty big black population there in Mississippi. Not as many as whites, but close. Uh, American Indians represent uh, 0.6%, and Latinos or Hispanics represent 3%. Quick business facts. Number of firms as of 2007 is a quarter of a million. Of those firms black-owned were 18%, Hispanic-owned were 0.8%, and women owned 27% of all businesses as of 2007. Facts and figures, 2011 for the DOC costs. Keep in mind, I bounce around with dates because some things are not available at all, all the way back until 2005 or six. So as of 2011, DOC costs total appropriation three hundred and thirty nine million eight hundred and twenty three per year for the Department of Corrections in Mississippi. The average annual cost per inmate, oh man, they're doing it cheap in Mississippi, fifteen thousand one hundred and fifty one thousand uh a year. The DOC staff and population. Total department active personnel is two thousand seven hundred and seventeen. Total number of facilities nineteen. Total incarceration under DOC jurisdiction 22,481 inmate to officer ratio is 7.3 to 1 parole and probation parole probation uh, population is 6,565 in addition now to the 22 and a half parole population 6,565 probation population is 29,668 quick facts One in 38 adult Mississippians is either behind bars or under correctional supervision. In 1982, the figure was one in 105. So since 1982, it has risen from one in 105 being behind bars to one in 38. 2013, the jail system. Mississippi has 82 counties. According to the latest jail census taken in 2006, There are 95 jail facilities and 11,539 inmates. Mississippi has not adopted jail standards. Mississippi has not adopted jail standards, standards, which means basically they ain't got to live up to nobody's expectations. Send them in a cell. The prison system. As of December 31st, 2013, the Mississippi prison population was 21,969. The department operates three state prisons, 15 regional facilities, and contracts with 4 private prisons. The community's Corrections System The Mississippi Department of Corrections, Community Corrections Division supervised 33,061 probationers and 10,000 parolees on December 1, 2014. The crime rate in Mississippi as of 2013 is 2% lower than the national average. Property crimes make up the most, 91% of the crime rate in Mississippi, which is about 1% higher than the national rate. The remaining 9% are violent crimes and are about 21% lower than other states. Mississippi, as of 2013, has a rate of about 75% higher than the national average of incarceration in prisons, adults per 100,000. 75% higher in a place where the crime rate is lower. Mississippi 2013 has a rate of about 5% lower than the national average number of probationers. Mississippi has a rate of about 14% higher than the national average number of parolees. And taxpayers in Mississippi paid about 47% lower than the other states per inmate in 2012. In 2012, it was $17,177. Versus the state uh, average, which is 32,142. Prison and jail incarceration rates as of 2005. By jail incarceration rates, rate of incarceration per 100,000 population. Of that, we have white, 503, black, 1,742, Hispanics, 611. I'll repeat, whites are arrested 503 per 100,000, blacks 1742 per 100,000, and Hispanics 611 per uh, 100,000. And again, blacks only make up 37% of the population versus 60% of the population for whites. Mississippi has the highest incarceration rates in the U.S., with 40% of inmates held in private prisons. 40%. of their inmates are held in private prisons in the highest incarceration rate in the U.S. Since 1980, states have been contracting with private operators to help reduce costs and expand bed capacity. There's that key word, bed, which we told you means heads, which has led to the U.S. contracting 10% of its 2.3 million prison population out to private unions. The private prison contracting industry is now worth $5 billion under Mississippi state law. Private prisons have to provide cost savings of 10% compared to public prisons. There's the stats. There's the facts. Mississippi is Ferguson on steroids.
4: Oh, my God. I don't know Uh, What do you say to that? (laughs) Damn, what do do you say to that? You said 91% of all crime is some property-related crime. Mm -hmm. And they are lower than the national average in those respects. Yep. But they are one of the leaders in the country in incarceration. The the leader leader. in the nation. How how does that even... How does that even
2: make any sense? It makes sense when you hear hear earlier what I mentioned about Christopher Epps, the longest-running commissioner was freaking corrupt. So the entire state's prison industry, working with this judge, this legislator, this businessman, these private prisons, were using the population as literal slaves that they were hunting to fill their quotas and then sending out their no-bid contracts to their buddies for kickbacks.
4: Yeah. And, and enriching and empowering major corporations. Yes. Like, like not just making themselves rich to the tune of five or ten million or something. Because, you know, that's easy to poo-poo that. The blow, oh, come on. I, it's just... But no, 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 no. Creating industries that have made within their own industries partnerships with one another to literally create lobbying... Uh, uh, super PACs, like, like, uh, political action committees, like the ALEC that we talk about, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, um what is it, the, uh, Prison Vendors Association? I have to find the name of the group, but it's a vendors association that is made up of nothing but prison vendors. Corporations that generate billions of dollars individually coming together to put their millions and hundreds of millions together. So they can create, they go ahead and write the legislation that they want and then give it to their paid off political officials that you elected. And then those people go to work and push those laws through and make things more favorable for them in the prison systems, in the state laws, in the practices within the courts. Get piece bigger chunks of federal monies, And then on Wall Street, they look like darlings because their stocks stay green all the time. People, this is not no little small-time one person just mad because they just said the white people don't like them. This ain't got nothing to do with that. It just doesn't have anything to do with that. It has everything to do with sustaining capitalism in this form. That's all we're talking about, ultimately, is this is sustaining capitalism as we know it in America. Is this slavery?
2: Slavery. Buying and selling human beings putting them in positions of brutality and squalor and not giving a damn about their life, their health, their anything. Um, There's one quick, short paragraph I want to read from one of the stories I provided for Mississippi is Ferguson. And it says, Private prison allegedly put inmates in barbaric conditions. Inmates at the East Mississippi Correction." correctional facility near Meriden live under barbaric conditions in filthy quarters without working lights or toilets, forcing them to defecate on styrofoam trays or into trash bags. The American Civil Liberties Union and the Southern Poverty Law Center claimed in a lawsuit, beatings, rape, robbery, and riots are commonplace, and inmates are denied access to medication and psychiatric care. The 83-page complaint stated, The privately run prison is an extremely dangerous facility operating in a perpetual state of crisis, and inmates' human rights are violated daily, according to the group. Some prisoners set fires in a desperate attempt to get medical attention in emergencies, the lawsuit said. I've been in prison all around the country, and this is the worst I've ever seen, said Gabriel B. Epper, staff counsel for the ACLU's National Prison Project.
0: I, I mean, we have reported on, and I think uh Abolitionist Daily was on air when they were setting fires at, what was that, the MTC unit, private prison unit for immigrant detainees in Texas,
3: in yeah, Willamette
0: County, County. Mm-hmm. Alaska, yeah, yep. setting fires, because they were, I think that might be who the, the um, Instance that they uh, may have been citing. So some people yeah, ask the it's question. Yeah,
4: it prison there too.
0: Yeah. So some people have asked the questions. Well, why do the prisoners, you know, participate? Why don't they just go on strike? Well, it's you know when they'll put throw you in a a, a shower stall with boiling hot water to the part to where you know the meat fall off of your bones and stuff. So they have their ways of making you work, making you comply. And do all this and that, but there is some forms of resistance, whether it be hunger strikes, whether there be many you know disturbances or or what not but uh, you know when when you read that you know the fires being started and stuff like that immediately, I just started with Lassie county, you know this is all going on, you know yes. right here or uh, uh in America, and you know it's not being reported like it should be uh by mainstream media, which I think, you know, are kind of tied into it continuing, you know? Yes. I mean, if, a, you know, not to, well, yes, I'm going to call the names like Johannes said. When Walmart is advertising, spending lots of ad dollars on MSNBC or Fox News or any other network, and a big portion of their, you know, I don't know the exact figures, but a good portion uh their profit margin is maintained by using prisoners to deconstruct you know uh products that have been returned and then repackage them you know and this goes on throughout the industry uh even in electronics i think texas instrument uses you know uh labor within uh, these prisons so if yes. i'm advertising i'm spending all these dollars on your news network and i'm this bill uh, the um, justice is not for sale, which is going to eliminate the private prison industry, you know, which is going to then trickle down and affect those smaller contractors that may have contracts with the GO group and, and whatnot. But, or, or, yeah. And, and so, you know, um, this would do a tremendous, uh, damage, man, to their system. It, it just really do. And I, I just, you know, I, I think that's why they not, Uh, playing given this media coverage they're not inviting the michelle alexander or cornell west or whoever the any legal analyst that they got on call uh bring them on to discuss this this bill could it be because you know some kind of way they trying to protect their ad revenue from corporations using prison slavery Or, you know, what's going on here, guy? I don't have all the answers, but all I can do is tell you what it looked like from the outside. It's just really ridiculous as a person, you know, as a citizen journalist and studying media and and to note, you know, how big this is in terms of legislation that has been passed in the past 200 plus years. Um, Yeah, it's just mind boggling, man.
2: Here in the solid South, there are some states that
0: require at this
2: time, as a state of emergency, the National Guard to come in and take over these prisons and start determining who is really guilty and who is really innocent, because it's very possible that the people, the majority of people in there are just innocent people who have been exploited in places like Mississippi and in Alabama and Louisiana, who are exploiting human beings in a prison for profit scheme that turns people into slaves and when others start seeing it that way maybe they'll stop asking the wrong questions
4: Hmm. shout out to free alabama (laughs) free mississippi movements and their uh continue campaign as you mentioned the hunger strike made me remember Mm -hmm. uh, to, to shout out them brothers and sisters both behind the bars behind the walls on the plantation and the families that's on the outside supporting them uh, free Alabama movement, free Mississippi movement in a continued uh, hunger strike, continued work stoppage strike um, against, you know, corporations like what you named. McDonald's is, is one of the leaders uh, that they are going against outright uh, strike against McDonald's, boycott McDonald's. As we've seen, Willassie County, like you named off, making McDonald's employees uniforms for McDonald's restaurants all over the country and potentially around the world processing the plasticware from McDonald's restaurants all in the country and all over the world, processing the meat, beef patties, chicken. This is a matter of public record that this is what they had these immigrant detainees doing in the Wallace County prison that they started a fire that Scotty mentioned. And now we have to add to that this, like you said, Mississippi, and we've talked about California sending their inmates to Mississippi so they can finally abide by the Supreme Court ruling that was given out six years ago that they needed to uh, depopulate their prisons and the idea of being set people free, but they can't set people free. They just send them to other states. So Mississippi is one of those states. But add to it in Willassie County, they had those immigrant de- immigrant detainees doing that slave labor. But Willassie County was found guilty. That prison was found guilty. Some of their employees of taking company vans and crossing the border and smuggling people over into America then turning around and turning them in and bringing them back into their damn prison so this is not something I'm making up people, this is what happened, they caught these people in uniform in the company van with 28 illegal aliens shoved in the van brought them across the border, set them free, snitched on them, got them sent right back into their private prison and collected federal funds for their care and used them in slave labor, so don't tell me that when we go off and I start cussing and fussing and acting a fool on this program or whatever, don't tell me to calm down. How about you get off your ass and help us in the fight against this problem that we got?
2: Amen to that. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to tell you about a woman that was 17 years old when she was arrested for killing her own child, for decapitating her child, and then coerced into admitting to it and staying in prison from 1995 to 2014, accused of decapitating her own child, and was innocent all along. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We'll be right back after these messages. This is Ron Hayes with Hood News,
1: and you're listening to the Black Talk Radio Network. Stay tuned.
6: No, it really isn't. Because, see, people are thinking in terms of, well, they want to brag about being black. Which means that they are implying that there's something incorrect about being white, even though these are the creations of the creator. See, and then so everybody gets into this black pride thing or white pride thing, and people immediately start taking sides. It's not about taking sides based on black and white. It's about taking sides based on justice and non-justice, because that's what you're really aiming for. Being black doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in justice. And being white doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in justice, except you mean you believe in non-justice. And that doesn't make any difference what shade you are or how tall you are or who your cousin was or anything like that. Or what so-called nationality you have. Like a lot of people say that they take pride in being an Englishman or take pride in being a Frenchman, or take pride in being Afrocentric. Well, you're not supposed to be proud of any of those things if you don't believe in justice. Because these words mean nothing. No nationality means anything. And, And waving a flag if you don't believe in not mistreating people. You've got to believe in not mistreating people, and you've got to believe in helping people that need help the most. Otherwise, you don't even have any business breathing. Host of Time for an Awakening Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. Speaking in behalf of Black Talk Media Project's 2015 fundraiser. Since 2008, the Black Talk Media Project, which has created Black Talk Radio Network, has engaged in producing original content from a black perspective for the global black community. You can help us continue this mission and help us even more by giving donations to the Black Talk Media Project two thousand fifteen fundraiser and asking others to do so also. Let us work together to make two thousand and fifteen a stronger year for independent black media. Again, this is Elliot Booker of Time for Awakening Radio program on the Black Talk.
2: Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, Our next segment coming up is going to be our 21st Century Rider of the Underground Railroad. We gotta have one people. This is slavery and this is how people are getting free to uh organizations like the Innocence Project, or even becoming lawyers themselves, uh, what we call jailhouse lawyers, eventually getting their degrees on the outside, like Brother Darryl Padgett has done when he was sentenced to 37 and a half years in prison for one gram of cocaine, and he uh, got himself free. And we reported on him and others like him. So these are what we like to consider some good news stories, but often they are tragedies that will break your heart. And today is no exception. Uh, brother Johanna.
4: Let me, uh, I've been in the break and reading the story, uh, with the link you shared to me and just, uh, meditating and praying for patience. So you all pray with me that I don't flip out reading this because, man, y'all just must like me to be worked up, I guess. This is crazy, man. Why do we do this to each other? Our rider of the Underground Railroad this week is a young woman named Michelle Dawn Murphy. This is from FilmingCops.com out of Tulsa. Tulsa police planted evidence and coerced an innocent teenager to send her to prison for 20 years for murdering her child until she was exonerated and freed. Michelle Dawn Murphy was 17 years old when she found the body of her infant son nearly decapitated in her kitchen on September 12, 1994. She says defendant police detective Mike Cook coerced a confession from her which had no basis in reality and knowingly used as false evidence for a probable cause arrest affidavit. Murphy sued Tulsa, former Tulsa County district attorney, Tim Harris, nine police and cra- crime lab employees and four employees of the Oklahoma department of human services and Oklahoma state bureau of investigation in federal court on September 14th. She claims cook threatened her into say into saying that she was in a quote unquote dream, And that she accidentally fell and cut through her son's neck, an implausible statement police announced in a misleading news release saying that she had confessed. Faced with this reality, acting individually and in concert, the defendants then, Rico, the defendants then intentionally planted evidence and fabricated false inculpatory evidence against Miss Murphy, irreparably and unconstitutionally tainting her criminal trial by distorting the other evidence presented against her, faulty and false blood comparison evidence from the so-called forensic lab and evidence from a paid informant. I mean, damn, y'all. This is every story we tell you every week, all in one. Oh, my God. this uh, Paid informant whose uh, recent release from a mental hospital was withheld from the jury. Detective Cook even groomed the probable killer into a star eyewitness before the witness died under mysterious circumstances. Murphy Murphy was convicted of first-degree murder in 1995. She was freed in in May of 2014 based on DNA evidence and was exonerated four months later when Harris declined to retry her because of insufficient evidence. Murphy says that 10 years into her incarceration, defendant criminalist David Sugiyama defied a court order to evade testing of exculpatory evidence that would have triggered a new trial. She says Prosecutor Harris facilitated the adoption of her two-year-old daughter when she was convicted, forever alienating her from her mother. Tulsa officials declined to comment on the lawsuit. Murphy seeks punitive damages for constitutional violations, deliberate indifference, pain and suffering, lost income, inadequate medical care, and emotional distress. She's represented by Richard O'Carroll. And on the link that we will post on the new abolitionist radio page of this uh, of this story, um, there's also a video um, at the bottom of the story that tells you her story also in video. It's called Shadow of Doubt. So, Salute to this sister, Michelle Mur uh, Michelle Murphy. I I don't even know what else to say. Salute to you. You out. You are free. Welcome to America. They might do it to you again, Shit. Welcome to
2: freedom. Salute, dude. Until you've lost it, you <laughs> don't know how important it is to have it. You Man, know what I mean?
4: Trying not, I'm trying not to lose it. I ain't trying to be no Solomon Northup. I, <laughs> I wanna I wanna fight for it right now. I don't need to be a slave to know. <laughs> I don't need to be in it to know. I see the stories with what they doing to people. Right,
2: right. You know, this is what people have to understand. This is slavery. Everything you would expect to occur in slavery, the level of yes. corruption, the brutality, the horror, the rape, the mutilization mutilations, uh the uh distortion of justice to it's no longer recognized. These things are occurring right now. And a lot of these people who are out there talking about the end of the world today and the lizard people and the portals opening in CERN <clears throat> who have all been fooled, who have been di- distracted from the real horrors going on.
4: Wow, man. And, and for people that are just listening, maybe don't see the link, or obviously these podcasts are, are, are you know, kept as long as the internet is alive. Um, you may listen to this at any time in the future. Just for the record, Cause I know I've talked a lot about, you know, the, 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 the racial discrepancies and whatnot. This is a white woman. She's a, she's a white teenager. <laughs> you know, she, yep. so, so whenever you get ready to, to, you know, I guess you could throw those same things against her. If she just wanted to live better, if she just didn't want to be a baby mama, if she just didn't want to uh, get high, if she just, you know, if you want to throw all that against her too, you just heard what they did to her. So I guess you feel like that justifies. You know anything? If she ever drank a drink, a lick of alcohol. If she ever smoked a joint, whatever she did, I guess that justified what they did to her. That was a conspiracy against her. That, like I said, that's RICO charges right there, man. They all worked together in a conspiracy. The crime lab, the cops, the damn judges, the district attorney. I mean, everybody in line just took this girl and and basically just raped her.
2: Yeah, and and. The charge dude of decapitating your own yes. child and yes. spending all that time convicted in prison of doing that,
4: yes,, mm. you know like a lot of the exonerated people we talk about they don't even get a chance to mourn the dead when they walk in and find a person a mama dead it was the brother we talked about that thirty forty years, walked in and saw his mother dead and his and his uh sister's friend dead, he went to jail, never came back home for forty years, I mean. This woman her finds her child dead. The next twenty years gone, you only get to mourn your dead for you become a
0: slave. And you have to live in fear on that plantation uh, when you've been um you know convicted of a crime right. involving a child and killing a child. Oh man, she the lowest of the low. You You're know right. what I'm saying? Uh, who cares if she's raped every night or brutally beaten and uh, hey, shouldn't uh, have shouldn't have cut that baby head off and yeah. Well There are a few
2: stories that I threw out on the site. They would have made it to our cutting room floor, but uh, we just wanted to make sure we shared them with you. One of them is in regards to debtor, or actually, they're both in regards to debtors' prison, an unconstitutional thing that was supposed to have ended. It's back in existence in a number of states to the degree where one story where a man came out of the prison owing $55,000 to the prison for staying in the prison. That's how bad it's gotten They're rounding people up for debts that you owe And the fines they impose upon you Knowing you can't pay them This is happening in New Orleans it's happening in uh, Louisiana Alabama Mississippi uh, Even in South Carolina One out of every eight black men who are in jails Are there for child support right now
4: Hmm. Walter Scott R.I.P. brother
2: That's why he ran because yeah. he knew what was going to happen to him. Like, you know, yeah. sending him to jail is going to help his
4: family. He had already lost several good jobs behind going to jail for the child support situation. Send him to jail, and then, he, of course, he lose the job he had. Uh, I believe at one point um, there was uh, 14 states that were, or like, the top 14 states were, were named off. I'll try to find that link and put it on the New abolitionist Radio page also. That are all participating in this, in this behavior. I mean, Georgia, I don't know if you named Georgia. Georgia is one that's constantly.
1: We just reported out in
4: the court
2: that was uh, corrupt where they said the court had no business levying fines and they had to, several hundred thousand cases were affected.
4: And remind the listening audience that Georgia is a state when we did the the state constitution series and slavery in the constitutions of all these states. Georgia is one that said that you could be enslaved for uh, contempt of court. And not uh coming to court for a uh, child support warrant is a contempt of court charge, not coming to court for traffic warrants, municipal warrants of different sorts and whatnot, traffic warrants, this kind of thing. This is contempt of court. So you can be made a slave as according to the state constitution of Georgia. So uh, people, we don't need to lie to you. This is America you living in. This is the law
2: this is the law brothers um mm. the things i've seen that's going on is just outrageous and i am going to be so happy if i ever get to see the end of it i've got to see the beginning of the end of it and that is is really something yeah. to see the beginning of the end of it but i really want to see the end of it there's a couple of events that are coming up as you know uh, and they stated my brothers have stated i'm constantly involved with things uh, out there ground trying to make a difference in our nation, in our community and in our world and bring some kind of light and education to the circumstances that we're facing. So there's several events that are coming up I'd like to invite you to. The first one is this weekend in North Carolina At uh, Hot Springs, North Carolina September 25th through 27th I'll be at a Strategic Arts and Cultures Convergence giving An abolitionist workshop I'll be leading an abolitionist workshop It's uh, it's not like a resort It's uh, a beautiful place though It was handmade by a woman who has Only one arm And is an incredible craftsman She lost her arm during the French Revolution As a child from an IED That exploded in up her arm. She came back and became a freedom fighter here in America and then she built this resort for these types of purposes. So you have to check it out, please. Uh, also, I'll be and my wife is, and I, we both are spoken word artists and we'll be the features for the Moja Festival on the 28th and 29th in Charleston, South Carolina. I know you hear me talk all the time. But when it comes out in poetry, it's a big difference, and uh, you might want to come check this out. We're, from what we understand, people tell us we're pretty good at what we do. So come share some spoken word and poetry and storytelling with us on the 28th and the 29th in Charleston, South Carolina, at the 32nd Moja Festival. Uh, we're coming up on the end of our show. We've got about 12 or 13 minutes left. Uh, I know we got a lot on our heart this time. Because of today's uh, power of the show or the program that we've presented to our audience. So maybe we'll take a little longer for our final comments today. Which one of you brothers would like to start off with with those?
0: With final comments? Yeah, usually we still got like. 14 minutes, at least 12 minutes left in the program. Oh, uh, you guys, usually you guys spend about three minutes each.
2: <laughs> All right, well, let's go on to something else. Uh, we uh, didn't free. do the
0: abolitionist profile, did
2: we? Oh, you know what? That's right. We totally missed the abolitionist and profile. No wonder we got 14 minutes. I'm on time, but I'm stupid. <laughs>
4: okay, <so laughs> give the, give the update well, on the Lotus yeah. Place coming on after the program. We want to make sure people know that the Lotus Place will be airing at its normal time as soon as we are uh, done here with New Abolitionist Radio tonight. So stay tuned. Uh, Tune into Black Talk Radio Network. Tonight they will be discussing housing discrimination and talking to a whistleblower named Dr. Vivian Anderson. So please stay tuned after the show. You know what it is,
2: Scotty. I had our abolitionist in profile from last week that we never got a chance to uh, present on the other link. So I've got it open right now if you want to go into it. Our abolitionist in profile. Our abolitionist in profile is Anne Murray Douglas, 1813 to 1882. Anne Murray Douglas is best known as the first wife of black abolitionist Frederick Douglass. Her life illustrates the challenges faced facing women who were married to famous men. Born as a free black in rural Maryland, her parents, Mary and Bambara Murray, were manumitted shortly before her birth. She grew up in Baltimore, where she met a ship caulker six years her junior. Frederick Washington Bailey. Although it was unclear how they met, Murray facilitated his second escape attempt by providing money for a train ticket and a sailor's disguise. She followed him to New York City, where they were married by the prominent black minister, Reverend J.W.C. Pennington. They adopted the surname Douglas and when they moved to a Quaker community in New Bedford, Massachusetts. Wow, that blew my mind thinking that Frederick was... Involved with the Quakers like that. While Frederick began his climb as an abolitionist orator, Anna cared for their children. Born between 1839 and 1849, Rosetta, Lewis, Frederick, Charles, and Annie, in 1847 they moved to Rochester, New York, where Frederick began publishing his newspaper, The North Star. The gulf between Anna and Frederick widened over the years. She could barely read and write and was rarely a part of his activist life and growing circle of prominent white and black abolitionist colleagues. After the death of the youngest child, Annie, in 1860, Anna's death, Anna's health steadily deteriorated. She died on August 4th, 1882, at their home, Cedar Hill, across from Washington, D.C. She was carried back to Rochester, New York, where she was buried in Mount Hope Cemetery. And we hear a new abolitionist radio salute you. Salute. You know, there would be no Frederick Douglass without her on so many levels. She helped him to escape paying for his ticket and his disguise, um, you know, and caring for the kids. And uh, They just grew apart, I guess, because he got more and more involved in
0: abolition. Well, it took a it, whole lot longer to travel back then, too. Now, if you traveling and you organizing and... You know, the underground railroad and helping people escape and trying to convince other brothers to plot and plan to start a revolution or a civil war. And yeah, I mean, it, I mean, shoot, man. Yeah, we've seen that happen a lot though with, with, uh, men who, um, take more, take on more than what they should take on in terms of a movement, but they're so burdened with that work. But I mean, think about it back then in the 1800s see now we could jump on a train jump in a car you know um you travel from your home to charleston or north charleston or you're coming to north carolina you could jump in a car you have you know well back in the day you had to be on a mule in a carriage and so you be away from you know your family a whole lot longer to travel and and go out and speak to the public and convince people to become abolitionists so uh yeah but we do have a little extra time we got about Eight minutes left in the program. We do have a caller. We do encourage callers. Area code nine seven three. Go ahead with your question and comment um for New Abolitionist Radio.
7: Oh, good evening, New Abolitionist Radio. Uh good evening to all. Um Greetings, Max. Sister. I'm so very proud of you going being on the front line. I know the other uh Mr. Reed and Johan and you guys are on the front line too. But I'd just like to extend. If you're ever in the New Jersey area, Mr. Barkus, please look up the People's Organization for Progress. And we're uh, based in New Jersey. We have uh we have our meetings in Newark, New Jersey every Thursday nights. And we would love to invite you to our general assembly meeting to talk about this. So if you're ever in the New Jersey area, please, please indeed, New Jersey? look at that. We're in um Are you familiar with Newark, New Jersey? That's where we hold our General Assembly meetings there. I'm
2: I'm a born and raised Patersonian. I'm a born and raised Patersonian. My wife was born and raised in Newark. Uh, Yeah, we know Newark, and we come down a couple times a year, so I will certainly come by and visit and look you up. If you could send me the Please, please
7: do. We would really, um, you know, that would be very good because um, our chairperson, um, Mr. Lawrence Hamm, has been running the organization for a last I think maybe 40 years, and he's always on open line. I'm sure you're familiar with that program that comes on in in, in, um, in New York. Uh, it comes on W. Can I mention that on the air, yes, sir? Yes, please okay WBLS uh, and uh, Bob Slay and, and yes. uh, who else is up there and up. he has a lot yes. of connections so I think it would just behoove you to really uh, break bread with him come to your uh, come there and speak about and really just really break bread with him he has a lot of connections in this New York metropolitan area so that would definitely hopefully further in getting the word out and I'm just so proud of all that you're doing there are you know there are some strides being made so I I'm really elated about all of it, so please do, <laughs> okay?
2: Could you, could you send me the information in a private message, uh, possibly, so I could contact them?
7: I sure will, if you can I give me your it. email address.
2: Uh, PrismaticDreams at com, spelled P-R-Y-S-M-A-T-I-C, dreams, at gmail.
7: You got it. Okay, thank Great you request. so much, sir. Please. Peace. Right.
1: Peace.
7: I,
2: that made my day, man, to be able to go home and talk to my people again there where I come Q&A from.
0: Q&A is cleared.
1: That would be nice.
0: All right, fellas, we about ready to uh, go into our final statements. Um, I really don't, not going to talk a whole lot except to say that um, this bill needs to be passed. We need to make it be debated in Congress, hopefully push it to, to a vote. Because the, pro- the process is just beginning. You you know, you just introduced the bill. And so, you know, that's just the beginning. And like I think has been mentioned, they try to kill stuff in committee or they try to attach, you know, amendments to it and, and do compromises. Like we saw the North and the South compromise on the 13th Amendment. So, yeah, this, the process is just beginning. But, you know, it's even... How many people can say that they can even get the process started? So it is an accomplishment and it is the narrow focus on um um private prisons and jails. But believe me, you know, these are corporations who have very long tentacles and they got their hands in many things and they behind a lot of stuff including legislation that has led to what people call mass incarceration and, of course, a continuation of centuries-long enslavement of people.
4: Word. Just want to remind folks uh, to find us on other social media outlets, uh, Facebook, obviously, we're New Abolitionist Radio on Facebook, uh, the Move to Abolish 21st Century Slavery and Human Trafficking Group. Which I believe is, uh, is it around 2,500 members now?
0: About that, yeah.
4: Yeah. So, uh, just remind folks to find us there. Uh, the YouTube channel is New Abolitionist Radio. The Twitter page is New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, so we're pretty, pretty easy to find on some of the other social media outlets. Um, and, and those, you know, we're growing. So, you know, as we see more traffic and more, uh, of a following in those areas and obviously having to put more resources into posting there and, and uh, continuing to grow those as well. But find us on social media and follow the abolitionist message. A lot of this stuff is, is overflowing in our personal email inboxes and whatnot. So we're trying to get the info out as fast as we can, as well as stay in contact with one another and prepare for each week's program. Um Other than that, I think I probably went off more than I, you know, that I needed to tonight. So I apologize for my, my words that maybe were a little bit coarse at times and for anybody's feelings that might be hurt, but let's all of us try to remember that we're fighting for the enslaved. So it's not like a minute of a day goes by in any of their lives. That is not brutal. That is not mean spirited. That is not terrorist and, and abusive and endangering their lives. So, um, Sometimes the fight got to get down and dirty, you know. Sometimes we got to get down to the nitty-gritty. Peace to the abolitionists and uh, death to these oppressors.
2: Death to the oppressors. <clears throat> well, I'll keep mine brief again. Make sure you check me out in uh, the Mojo uh, Mojo Festival this uh, coming Monday and Tuesday. My wife and I will be the featured spoken word artists and storytellers and also at uh, Azul in North Carolina, Hot Springs, North Carolina, for the Abolitionist Workshop. As some of you may already know and sister mentioned, I was recently censored from PBS. I was a part of the uh, broadcast that was being done down there, America After Charleston. The uh, uh, One of our guests and a fellow abolitionist, uh, Muhedin Debaha Deha- De- De- De was one of the scheduled panelists. And uh, after our program here, he got. Booted The day of the program and replaced by another national Black Lives Matter organizer, which we thought was very insulting. Uh, and throughout it all, we participated fully. And the video of our participation is available right now on New Abolitionist Radio, so you can check it out yourself. But they deleted everything. They didn't apply none of it. None of it went to the air. There was no discussions that went beyond talking about prison as a destination. No more than that. The boogeyman. And that was it. That was the only talk that they allowed about prisons or anybody provided. But, of course, you know, I got up there and I grabbed the mic myself, and so did Muhadine, and we made our voices be heard. We may not have reached the masses uh, across the United States and worldwide through a media outlet, outlet like PBS should have allowed that message to go out, but we did reach the people who were there and those who have been sharing the video. Uh, It's time for a change, and it usually starts when you have change in your mind. Stop thinking of slavery as past tense. Stop thinking of it as something we can fix with reform. And slight alterations, stop thinking of it as a mistake in judgment or error or something we we just missed and didn't notice. This was done on purpose. This is being run on purpose. This is happening to people on purpose, and it's slavery. Start thinking of it as slavery. And remember this if you don't remember nothing else. Abolition is a reason for a revolution, y'all, so we can finally know some peace. Peace. Well,
0: some people like to dismiss slavery like it was nothing. But you see, slavery, it can never be forgotten. Some people not gonna like what me say, but me I gonna say it anyway. We are gonna talk about slavery and the effects of it today. Some people just don't want to know about 400 years ago. But the thing about slavery, it's affecting people now. I tell you no lie when I see a film about slavery.